Hello everyone, my name is Jared Altick and I'm a chaplain with the police department. The Hey Chaplain podcast brings you stories and wisdom about life and law enforcement, giving support and encouragement to those who wear the badge. I attend a lot of police roll calls and sometimes the officers are griping about and poking fun at other agencies. Most of this is pretty normal and pretty harmless. They say, we're the only sensible and reasonable ones. The other agencies are complete morons, etc., etc. But sometimes officers who are well-informed about their own agency will make a factual error about how the other agency operates or what their responsibilities are. For example, perhaps that officer might misunderstand what the U.S. Marshal Service is all about. And then I think to myself, well, that doesn't sound quite right, but I do know a U.S. Marshal. I should go ask him. So today, I'm talking to Ron Miller. Ron was the police chief in both Kansas City and Topeka, Kansas, before being appointed by then-President Barack Obama as the U.S. Marshal for the District Court in the state of Kansas. Ron has an encyclopedic knowledge of law enforcement and has been a great resource for me learning how law enforcement really works. Today, I've narrowed down the topic to just his current job, the U.S. Marshal Service. So listen carefully to Ron explain the nomenclature of who is a marshal and who is a deputy marshal, and make sure you catch everything he says as he goes through the different missions and roles that the marshals participate in. I love talking to someone like Ron, because without any notes in front of him, he can just lean back and lay out the entire picture, teaching and explaining exactly how the U.S. Marshals fit into the bigger law enforcement picture. Here's Ron Miller. Ron, thank you for being here today. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm glad that you're able to join me. I've been looking forward to this interview and uh, talking about the U.S. Marshals Service. Maybe I need to define our terms first and foremost. You are U.S. Marshal Ron Miller. So how is that different from all the people who work under you? What are, what are their titles and how does that system work? There are 94 presidentially appointed federal marshals. They each are responsible for each of the 94 federal districts in the United States where there's a federal court. There are only 50 states, and then there are five U.S. territories. So 94 districts means that some states have more than one federal district in that state. The president appoints the the United States Marshals. They are confirmed by the Senate. And they come from the area that they're appointed to, Yes, yes. They come from other federal agencies move their uh, supervisory people around the country. But the Marshal Service in the districts, what is known as district management, are local people that have been appointed by the president to fulfill that position. I was appointed by the president in 2015. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, I serve at the pleasure of the president, which means the president might change, but he or she might not desire to change the marshals. Sure. And they don't always get changed out, so I'm still here. And you're on president number three. And I'm you. on my third administration, <laughs> yes. Okay. So... What's different about the rest of the deputies is they are supervisory personnel. We have a chief deputy in the district. We have supervisors. We have deputies that perform the functions, uh, operations deputies. We have task force deputies uh, that are doing the fugitive mission. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of those folks all work for the chief deputy, 
who works for the marshal, and the marshal works for the president through the Department of Justice, through the Attorney General. So when I've seen a movie and I see people in, in maybe the jackets and say U.S. Marshal Service on it, colloquially we would say, oh, look, those are marshals. But technically, you're the marshal, and they are all different levels of deputy marshals. Right. They are all with the United States Marshal Service, and their jacket says U.S. Marshal. But the reality is there's one marshal, everybody else is a deputy marshal, and then there is a headquarters staff of people in Washington, D.C., who manage the marshal service on a national level. Right, as a federal agency. As a federal agency yeah. where the individual marshals manage the district subject to the rules and regulations of the marshal service. Hmm. And so it's a federal agency. The difference between the marshal service and other federal agencies is uh, those men and women rise up through the ranks and are promoted and transferred in the marshal service. The marshal is appointed by the president for that specific district right. and stays there at the pleasure of the president. Do any of the U.S. marshals come out of the marshal service itself? Do, do any of them have long, like this was their career was in the marshal service and eventually they became the U.S. marshal they for do, that district? They, they do. There are several cases around the country of places that uh, were career deputies okay. who rose up through the ranks and uh, then got appointed the marshal for that district. And uh, so they don't always come from outside the agency, but they mostly do come from the outside the agency, right. which gives this blend of experience to the marshal service that has an, has an exterior, uh, external uh, feel to it because there are people appointed from local law enforcement right. that become managers of the organization. And previously they had been in state or local law enforcement right. and so. Oh, and occasionally okay. then there's one that comes through the system that was a deputy that rose right. up and became the marshal in the district. Okay. So what does the US Marshal Service do? Briefly, there are about uh, five mission sets. Okay. So one of them is the protection, the number one mission is the protection of the federal judiciary. Okay. We protect federal judges, protect federal courthouses, protect the federal judicial process, okay. the courtrooms, prisoner production, the safety of the courtrooms, the safety of the U.S. attorneys, the safety of the jurors, the citizens who serve as jurors who, who come to the federal court uh, having been uh, summoned for jury duty, uh, that that is a safe environment. So we protect the federal judicial process. Okay. The, the next mission has to do with fugitive apprehension, which is a little more of what people are familiar with, the marshals, fugitive hunters right. that are out there chasing down people who have warrants. The interesting thing about that is that we're just not out there uh, finding people to arrest in neighborhoods. Right. We're not out there doing warrant sweeps, just sweeping up people and arresting them. These folks all have warrants, felony warrants for their arrest. They are wanted by a court, whether that's a state court or a federal court, not unlike the way it used to be a few hundred years ago. Right, right. They are wanted by a court, and there's a warrant for their arrest. And the 
the local law enforcement agencies can't go outside their jurisdiction. So they enlist the assistance of the marshal service, who has no jurisdictional boundaries. We can go anywhere everywhere in the country. We can go yeah. anywhere in the country. We even have an international mission with uh, with uh, treaties with other countries. Oh, okay, but um, the marshal service can go anywhere. But we don't generally send marshals from Kansas to some faraway state to try to find a fugitive, right? Right. Because that state or district has a marshal and has a task force and has personnel. There are approximately 5,000 deputy United States marshals in the system. Yeah. So they're spread out all over the place. And so... So you can cross, like you're U.S. Marshal for Kansas. You can go into Missouri or Oklahoma to get somebody that your guys are after. Right. But it wouldn't be necessary for you to go to Minnesota or some other, you know, New York or California because you can just contact the marshals there. Right. The easiest way to remember it is not a jurisdictional thing. Right. It's an area of responsibility. We're responsible for Kansas. Somebody else is responsible for Minnesota. We can go to Minnesota and have the jurisdictional authority to make an arrest in Minnesota. We don't need special authorization. But the reality is we would probably send a lead to the Minnesota folks and have Minnesota deputies take care of that in their area of responsibility. It isn't that we can't do that. It's that the protocol is we're trying to let people take care of business in their own sure, area sure. and um, more efficient. enlist in. It's more yeah. efficient. Protection, uh, fugitives, uh, what else? The does? third one? Yeah. The third one has to do with sex offenders. Okay. Uh, most people don't realize that there are thousands and thousands of registered sex offenders in the United States. You, you may have heard on the news about a person that was convicted of a particular crime that is then therefore required to register as a sex offender for life. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that mean? If they have to register as a sex offender, who do they register with? Who, who makes sure that that person is compliant with the terms of their registry, that they're where they're supposed to be, living where they're supposed to be, working where they're supposed to be, doing what they're supposed to be doing? Who verifies that compliance? Right. Well, the answer to that is the local sheriff. Because that's who's responsible for that in most cases. Right. But what if that person leaves and goes to another state? Right. The sheriff's jurisdiction ends at the county line. Exactly. So right. where did this person go? Well, enter the U.S. Marshal Service that has a sex offender compliance mission okay. to determine that these folks are where they're supposed to be right. working with the local law enforcement agencies, just like we work with the local law enforcement agencies on the fugitive mission. So sex offender operations, sex offender registration, compliance is an, is an important mission. The, the next one has to do with the critically missing children. Okay. There, is a, there was a few years, a few short years ago, there was a uh, statute passed and signed by the president that gave the marshal service authority to enter into critically missing children uh, investigations. So let's say, for example, that a non-custodial parent uh, kidnaps their child, but they don't have custody and flees with the child. That's a critically missing child investigation. It's not unlike a fugitive investigation. 
the same kind of things would apply when you're tracking a fugitive as you might have when you're tracking this fugitive who has taken the child and fled. Right. So we enter missing, critically missing children investigations. Then we have uh, asset forfeiture. So let's say everybody's heard of the drug dealers that get cars uh, um, confiscated right. and or houses or yachts or boats or airplanes that are confiscated. Well, until they're forfeited, confiscation is one thing. Seizure is one thing. Right. But the legal process has to play out on when that, that vehicle or that uh, house is forfeited to the government. Okay. And the money then used and sold, and then the money distributed back to the victims of the crime. Okay. So the question is, well, who maintains the, the vehicle between seizure and forfeiture? Right. What happens to that vehicle? Who maintains it? Who it's takes care of it? Who is responsible for yeah. it? Who, who stores it away where it's safe? That's the marshal service responsibility is the, is the seizure and care and custody of seized property pending a forfeiture order by the federal court. Okay. So those are the main four or five areas where the marshal service keeps everybody really busy all the time, every day, right. nationwide, right. and in the and in the U.S. territories. But there's more also too, right? I mean, the marshals are connected to witness protection. Is yes. That right? Well, that's part of the federal judicial process protection. We're trying ah. to produce witnesses. So under the same umbrella of protecting yeah. the judge, right? You also would protect those. You're witnesses. protecting. You're protecting the witnesses. Okay. Some witnesses don't need protection. Sure. And some witnesses, it's called a witness security mission. Okay. Some witnesses need protection because they'll be threatened or harmed or whatever. Okay. Some witnesses don't have that problem. Okay. Some do have that problem. So we have the witness security mission to protect those witnesses right. before, during, and after they testify. And there are some 18,000 people in the witness security program right. nationwide. And uh, as we sit here and speak today, there is not one documented case of an of injury to a protected witness. Really? As long as that witness played by the rules and stayed in the program and did what they were supposed to right. do. Right, right. Yeah, okay. And then probably under that same umbrella would also be the prisoner transport Right. Prisoner production is yeah. part of the judicial okay. process. We have to get the we have to get the person who's been arrested and charged and and presumed not guilty. Right. We have to get that person in custody, in safe safely in custody, and we have to get that person in the court, which might not be in the same state. Which is why many a federal case, agency many cases need to might not be them. in the same state. Right. And, right. Uh, and so, so that's the con air. Yeah, where you're yeah. moving moving them by yeah. aircraft. Exactly. Yeah. That's the Justice Prisoner and Alien Transportation Service, otherwise nicknamed JPATS, or yes. as they like to be referred to, Conair. Right. Because when when prisoners are sentenced, then they may and let's say they let's say they're going to be assigned to the Bureau of Prisons facility somewhere. Well, we have to get them there. Yeah. And yeah. the easiest way to get them from here to someplace far away 
is to fly them on the only government-operated on-time airline <laughs> that the United States government operates is the JPATS Airlift, or otherwise known as the Conair. Headquartered in Kansas City, Missouri, right? Headquartered in Kansas City, yeah. Missouri. Their, uh, their office is in Kansas City, Missouri, and they fly all over the United States, and they have a fleet of... 737 jets, they have a fleet of hawker jets, buses, vans, and they move prisoners around all over the country based on where they need to be, where uh, where the services might be the best for that particular person if that prisoner is sick and needs attention. They might move them to a, a medical location, and those people have to be moved efficiently, and they're moved by... Vans, buses, and small jets and big jets. And we were talking earlier, and you were comparing what the marshal service does to on a federal level to what a sheriff's office does right. on a county level. Right. So similar similar list of responsibilities. Right. Yeah. The same. So think of it this way: the sheriff is responsible for that county, right? And that sheriff was elected by the people and serves a term but has the same responsibilities at the local level, court security, judicial security, prisoner production, warrant service, process service, prisoner transportation. The sheriff has that same function. The only thing happens is a marshal does that at the federal level and is not constrained by jurisdictional boundary because the federal uh, authorization gives them authority everywhere. In the whole country. So right. all the marshals and deputy marshals all have authority all over the United States equally, but they have an area of responsibility where they are mainly assigned. So your career what has been lengthy and almost entirely at the local law enforcement level. Tell me about your transition from local law enforcement, chief of police, to a federal agency. It's, it's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, so briefly, remember I described what a sheriff does. Right. Well, a police chief is different than that. The police chief has an even smaller area of responsibility. Sure. And the police chief generally doesn't run a jail. The chief of police doesn't have to be responsible. The police department's not responsible for the production of witnesses in the court. Right. Police officers testify, but they are not generally responsible for that. They don't have to feed or house or clothe prisoners. Yeah, not as many of the court responsibilities. Right. So, right. so when I was appointed to this position, I knew that the, the, my predecessor in this position was going to retire and he'd okay. been in it for a long time, many years in Kansas, and he retired. And uh, the position was open. So I knew it was open, so I indicated interest in okay. the position. And that had to go through a long vetting process of, uh, you know, not just anybody can get appointed U.S. Marshal. And the reality is you have to have a pretty clean background and right. to get this position. Plus, you have to have the skills that the federal statute says the marshal has to have. So I was a police chief that got appointed U.S. Marshal and had to learn right away about court security, judicial security, prisoner production, prisoner operations, movement of prisoners, 
all, all of those things. And uh, so it's interesting. Now, how much familiarity did you have? I mean, because you would have had at least some passing familiarity with the marshal because the marshal's office was in your city. Right. Uh, so so you had some knowledge, but I mean, did you feel like you were kind of cramming for the final exam or how yeah. did it Well, feel in the you? beginning, in the beginning, yeah, you, you figure out, oh, oh, I don't know a whole lot about uh, care, custody, and, and uh, prevention of problems with prisoners who are being produced for court. Right. So you kind of got to learn the prisoner operation mission. And uh, I was pretty familiar with personnel management, budget management. It's all the same. Law enforcement agencies, private sector, public sector, they're all the same. It's managing people and manage public assets and managing public funds. Uh, as every manager of every company knows, uh, personnel problems are the things that are the most prevalent. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you got to be responsible with the with the federal uh, budget. You got to be responsible with the taxpayers' money, yeah. and try to do things that are in line with the policies and procedures. But so I knew a lot about that. But I didn't I didn't have a lot of experience in in the prisoner operations function, right. Right. and so had to kind of learn that one in a hurry. But you were able, like in any situation like this, coming over into a different agency. You could depend on the people in command underneath you to, you know, actually run things, and and I mean, you could depend on their institutional knowledge, you know, to you right. know, not lead you astray. That's exactly <laughs> right. Uh, the chief deputy, uh, those those guys are or, and gals are career personnel, trained, sent to school, selected by competitive merit promotion selection process. Uh, those people run the day-to-day operation of the agency. That's really yeah. not the job of the marshal. Right. The marshal's job is more the face uh, and name of the organization, the more the the public uh, person who who meets with the community and goes out in public and deals with the personnel problems, uh, yeah. interacts to lead and be responsible. Yeah, and, interacts yeah. with the media, yeah. uh, all those things, but yet deals with the personnel. Problems that that the chief deputy may need assistance on. Sure. So, and, and the reality is that the chief deputy runs the district, right? Because marshals come and marshals go, right? But career people are there for twenty five years plus, right? Right. Um, what makes the marshal service? Uh, attractive. I mean, I've, I've spoken to a lot of police officers like, yeah, I'd love to be part of the marshal service. What makes the marshal service good at capturing fugitives? What makes them good at doing their job? I think one of the things that attracts law enforcement officers or people in general to the, to the marshal service is the idea that they are going to be able to chase fugitives and hunt down fugitives and bring them to justice and uh, get them under arrest and and be, quote, part of the long arm of the law that, right. re- that reaches right. out and arrests right. people that need to be arrested and, and takes, uh, takes the bad guys off the street. Every, all law enforcement officers want to be a part of that. Sure. And uh, that's what the marshal service, that's what the marshal service does. But there's a lot of other stuff that goes into that, too, that we've already discussed. They, yeah. They're going to spend their fair share of time sitting in a courtroom, <laughs> being the security officer for this 
felon who's been charged criminally with this crime, this violent crime, and a deputy is going to be in the courtroom with that person while they're sitting in court having their judicial process. Sure. And uh, so there's a lot of that. And uh, But I think that's what attracts people to the marshal service is the idea of uh, chasing bad guys and uh, being able to travel around the country and be involved in special operations. And Yeah. I read somewhere that like 52% of all federal fugitives are caught by the marshal service. Yeah, they arrest 300,000 people a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a lot of people. And that's not just once in a while. That's 300,000 people a year, every year, that are arrested by the marshal service and and either returned to the county where the warrant originated. Right. So let's say uh, we have a fugitive in Kansas that is wanted by a county jail or a county prosecutor. Okay and is not in the county. We believe that person has fled to another state a long way from here. Well, we're going to work that case, presuming the local agency wants us to work it. Right. We'll adopt the case, and then we'll work that fugitive. And when you arrest them where they are, they end up being transported back to the county where the original charge was filed, and that person's sitting in the jail. And that's what the local law enforcement agencies need is the assistance of the marshal service to hunt those people down and bring them back, literally bring them to justice. And so they have their day in court. A a common uh, trope in movies and TV shows is the tension between local law enforcement and the feds, which is usually the FBI typically. But I think a lot of times the typical viewer isn't really aware of the distinction between the different federal agencies. Uh, they may see somebody in a blue jacket and not understand what agency they belong to. But you've been on both sides, local and federal. How would you describe the relationship between federal agencies and local law enforcement? The reality is that's why the marshal is appointed as a locally appointed person who has those relationships already. The other federal agencies transfer their special agents in charge. They transfer them around the country. They broaden their experience and they promote and they go from smaller areas to medium size to bigger areas or they go back to headquarters for an assignment and then come back out in the field and go someplace else. So those, those folks get moved around and they don't know the people that they're coming into that area. Right. So then there becomes this perception that there's this uh, the rub between the local law enforcement people and the, quote, feds right. who are there. But in the Midwest, and certainly in Kansas City, uh, we don't really have that problem. Everybody gets along very well. Yeah. But even in the areas where there is that um, perception, let's say, right. the marshal is a guy that's the local person. Yeah. He was a he police a fed, chief. but he's a local fed. Yeah, right? he's a local fed. He, he or she may have been a police chief or a sheriff right. or somebody uh, along that line that is from that area that knows everybody and builds those relationships. And my job as the U.S. Marshal is to encourage, enhance, and nurture relationships with the local law enforcement, sheriffs, police chiefs throughout the whole state. Well, the truth is, Kansas is a big state in terms of geography. Right. It's huge. Right. 
And uh, so I have to get out on the road and I have to go to far southwest Kansas or northwest Kansas. Or I got to go down to Coffeyville in southeast Kansas direction to to meet with the sheriffs and know the police chiefs. So and go to the conferences and and tell them how we can help them and work with them and make sure they have my contact information. So in case they have to call us, that's the difference. The FBI agents, DEA agents, ATF agents move around the country, right. and uh, while they come in and build those relationships, I bet I've worked with, honestly, I bet I've worked with, in my career, probably 15 different special agents in charge of federal law enforcement agencies, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe more than that, okay. because they move them. They come right. and go, but marshals don't come and go. So when you see... When you see one of those scenes and the local law enforcement's upset because the feds have come in, do you see that and feel like, boy, if I was there, I could smooth this over? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I have actually have have seen in my career uh, where the feds come in and they say, well, we're going to take this investigation over. And the local sheriff or the local police chief has then got to bristle up and yeah. say, hey, wait a minute. But that generally doesn't happen with the marshal service because mm. – we don't come in and take over yeah, not outsiders anything right. yeah we yeah. don't come in and take over anything we may assist them right we'll only hunt the fugitives that they want us to go after that right. they actually they have to give to us to adopt and there's right. some forms that have to be filled out I've and heard that signatures term yes yeah and if we're going to adopt the case there's some paperwork so they tell us we want you to help us find this guy right because we don't go in and take over anything right Right. But sometimes, uh, sometimes that perception is that the, that the feds come in and overrule the local law enforcement people, and right. and that that seldom happens. Interesting. Okay. And then um, if I've talked to multiple young police officers who are like, "Boy, I I would be interested in my career going into U.S. Marshal Service." How would a young police officer go about that? What 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 challenges is that person facing? What should he or she be doing to prepare? Um, how would that work? Well, so there there was a requirement um, over the years that they that they needed to be former law enforcement. That's that's actually not a requirement. So okay. a young person can come straight into the marshal service, like right out of college yeah. or something. Uh, having law enforcement uh, is helpful to their resume. Uh, being in the military is helpful to their resume. M- military veterans uh, have a, a great opportunity to be hired, okay. but you don't have to be okay. a uh, veteran. But it is very competitive. I saw at one point, and this may be a dated stat, I'm not sure, but like 5% are actually chosen out of all the applicants or some really low numbers. Yeah, and, they, and sometimes when they were opening those things up for nationwide posting, they'd get 30,000 applicants in 20 minutes. Yeah. And then they'd close it down, and then they'd work through that process. Well, what's actually happened is the Marshal Service and other federal agencies are now uh, are in, in what's called the um, – accepted service hiring process, which basically means there's, a, there's this whole hiring process you have to go through in this big, long governmental process, except those agencies that have expedited hiring okay. or accepted service hiring. Okay. So, and the marshal service and the federal agencies are in that category. So 
that just means if they're interested in becoming a, a U.S. marshal, a deputy U.S. marshal, every one of the field offices or district headquarters offices has a recruiter, okay, uh, or or more than one, and they can contact the local agency, express interest. That person's name will be forwarded to a recruiter who will contact that person, and then they will be invited to come to a orientation session, an orientation session where they will learn about the marshal service and there's still something they want to do. Right. They set them down at a computer and have them fill out form and paperwork and file it right there. So okay. um, I, I would say the one thing the local law enforcement officers need to know is that the federal government is, is, an, is an employer just like their current agency. There are the same kinds of personalities and problems and duties and responsibilities and there are uh, there are highly sought after functions and then there are functions that are less sought after that people have to do that right. they have to work their way through but um, the federal law enforcement service is an honorable service they have uh, competitive wages good benefits uh, retirement system health care uh, it's a it's a great career opportunity for somebody that wants to go from state or local to federal, but they have to understand it's it's just a different group right. than the one you're in now, but it has some of the, the same isn't problems. Greener the grass the isn't side. always no. greener. <laughs> would, a, would a person coming in, let's say you're hired on, you're now a deputy U.S. Marshal, uh, would, would you likely be moved very much uh, in your career? I mean, the U.S. Marshal is from the area, but would you be moved around? Would is that something you can can control? Yes. Um, if a deputy is hired and goes now, let's say a deputy wants to be in in their home district. Okay. But there's no openings in the home district. Okay. So they go to work for the marshal service, and they end up in they end up someplace else. Okay. But then, as time goes by, something opens up in their home district. They can get back to their home district. They could bid, basically, to right, get yeah, back in. Right. But if, by chance, you got hired in your home district, went away to the uh, Marshal Service Academy at Fletsy, okay. and you came back, if, by chance, you got hired by the Marshal Service, went through the academy, and you came back to your home district, then, theoretically... You can stay there your whole career and never leave because oh, wow. the marshal service isn't going to force you out and move you. Okay. Now, okay. if you want to be promoted to supervisor, if you want to take one of the special right. one of the special inspector jobs that exist around the various places in the country, sure. you might have to move for the promotion. But if you want to be a deputy U.S. marshal in your hometown and you get assigned there. Theoretically, you're never going to get moved from there. And other federal agencies are, are, in some cases, are the same way. Okay. I know okay. that the ATF, for certain, ATF is the same way. You don't have to move. Okay. But you might choose to move if you want to take a different position or career track. Excellent. 
Excellent. Well, Ron, thank you for talking to me about the Marshalls and explaining that. I hope this clarified things for people. It's one of those things where in a movie or a TV show, the U.S. Marshal Service is kind of background characters in a lot of, a lot of times, at least the modern version is. And we often don't exactly know what that person is doing, what their job is. And I feel like this helped a lot. I appreciate it. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Ron Miller has about 50 years of law enforcement experience, and it sure seems like he knows every cop in the Midwest and beyond. Because I've seen him greet them, all with a big smile, a big handshake, and a fatherly pat on the shoulder. He seems to have a gift for communicating that message that says, You've got this, buddy. It's funny how many highly accomplished officers I've seen have this interaction with Ron, and they just glow with a, shucks, thanks, Dad, look of appreciation on their faces. Several years ago, he gave me a word of encouragement to pursue police chaplaincy, and my reaction was, well, okay, now I have to follow through on it. And I did. In regard to the marshals, in the old days, at least as we remember it from the movies, a marshal would deputize a group of civilians forming a posse and then go track down that bad guy in the black hat. Today, however, a marshal would deputize a task force consisting of local law enforcement officers and pay their overtime and travel expenses to track down fugitives from the law. It turns out the marshal service still does a lot of interesting work and they are as active as ever. If you're looking to go into federal law enforcement, you might consider the U.S. Marshal Service. But don't make that decision just yet, because on the next episode of Hey Chaplin, I talked to a local cop who became a federal agent, and his experience went in a completely different direction. On the next episode of Hey Chaplin. So I was, I was looking for any federal investigator job, and it just so happened that um, I saw an opening for the Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration. (laughs) That's a mouthful. (laughs) Right. And so when I saw that opening, I I had no idea who they were or what they did. Sure. I I immediately thought of uh, IRS, you know, tax fraud, money laundering, which is completely not in my wheelhouse. I am not, I'm not a a math person. Not an accountant by trade. Not an accountant. I didn't do my own taxes. I didn't want to. And so I, I asked around and I got a contact for uh, a TIGTA agent in Oklahoma City. And then so I called her and, and I said, what, you know, what do you guys do? There's yeah. an opening, what do you do? But she explained to me the mission of TIGTA and, and I was surprised. And you know, we, we like to say that uh, TIGTA is the best kept secret in federal law enforcement. Mm. If you liked what you heard here, please share this episode with a cop or someone who loves a cop. The views expressed here are the personal views of the hosts and our guests and do not necessarily represent the views of any law enforcement agency or its components. Thank you for listening today. And as always, pray for peace in our city.